Hi friends, welcome to or welcome back to a Runner's Life podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with elite runner Ali Lavender. Before we get into the conversation, I want to say a big thanks to the sponsors of the podcast. Firstly, Tracksmith. They've just released, in collaboration with District Vision, the new Kazoo Tora sunglasses. I'm looking forward to trying them out and seeing what the differences are between the previous sunglasses, the Charles, which is still available, I believe. You know, they work really well for running and for social context. They've got this great bit of rubber between, um, which basically kept it on your nose and, you know, very firm, very secure. So great to see that. And also I want to say thank you to the second sponsors of the podcast, Allbirds. At the moment, I'm currently testing out the Tree Flyer shoe and I'm going to do a full review on my YouTube channel. But the whole premise of what Allbirds are about is to be more sustainable and a bit kinder to the earth. So whilst the tree fly is made for the shorter distance and the speed of work, it's also about trying to be a bit more considerate to the earth and be lighter on the planet. But with that being said, let's head to the conversation with Ali. Hi Ali, welcome to a Runner's Life podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, it's good to have you on the podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you today. question I always ask my guests is, what does a runner's life mean to you? Oh, a runner's life, it's all-encompassing when you love running. I think because I have been a runner for so many years, since I was little, I don't know any different. So a runner's life is probably, to me, uh, that most things revolve around running especially when you're trying to do it at quite a high level you just find that little things like meeting your friends on a Saturday you have to think about um, what session you've got in the morning or how tired you're going to be for your Sunday run depending on what you're going to be doing so I think a runner's life is probably quite a commitment to me I think is probably one word that I'd use Um, and just rewarding at the same time i love running and i think most people wouldn't see it as a commitment as such because of everything you get back from it as well so i think uh, a runner's life is just a normal life to me (laughs) yeah like you said it's been something that you've had since a child and it's really interesting i'm sure other people can relate to this like when you scheduling your week and something happens you always think how does that impact my running subconsciously first (laughs) yeah it's quite sad and I I always apologize to people and especially lately just if you're in a marathon build-up and you're thinking about all the like long runs how tired you're going to be what you've got on your schedule it's you kind of end up apologizing to your friends but I'm quite fortunate that my friends understand and they're so supportive that they do get that it might get in the way of us meeting up and everything and but I post a big event, I always try and make a big effort and go and see people that I might have missed out on or try and catch up virtually, if not during the build-up. Yeah, it's, some people think we're probably quite strange creatures. Yeah, I hear you, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the commitment part, isn't it? But then you talked about the reward part. What does the reward part look like to you? Uh, when a race goes right, when you've put so much into a build-up, and you've sort of sacrificed all those things along the way. You've missed out on nice cocktails and all the nice food that you've probably not completely indulged in. It's the reward of getting up in the winter when it's tipping it down, it's pitch black, and you go and do your morning run and then head out to work, come home, and it's still tipping it down, and it's pitch black. You haven't seen much daylight, and 
it's those days I think that make you sometimes and if you get to your big event and it goes well I think it's such a boost and you can think of that when you're having those rough days when you really don't want to get out and you're soaking and you've got a pile of washing that's as high as you I think if it goes well um it's the best reward that I think I've ever had for anything but I think as you probably can attest to and most runners can often it goes not as well as we'd like to (laughs) majority of the time and then the wins only people focus on those but forget the rest of the bit definitely and I think of over the last couple of years I probably had more good races than bad it took until recently and I'm sure we'll come on to that to actually think about that and remember that I've had a lot of reward and though I've just had a fairly negative experience um I've had my fair share of positive so I need to remember that it can't go right all the time and uh, one of my friends reminded me that um, and that it will come back around good. You can't focus on the positive all the time but at the same time you can't let a negative get you in a hole. Yeah absolutely. I was listening to a podcast today and I don't know if this is relates to you as well but sometimes as runners we can aim for this thing which isn't a bad thing a goal or a target and sometimes in the wanting or the pursuing of that goal it actually hinders us because I think it can actually, if it doesn't go away, then it can have a negative impact. And it's a really weird way that, I don't know if you do this as well, but you you have the goal, but then you've got to forget about it and just like, just do the process. Definitely. And I think you've got to enjoy the process. And I think that's one thing that I've definitely come to learn. And my husband is great for it. He enjoys every run. He loves going out the door, no matter what the weather he really enjoys all the small things and that's not something that I've done in the past and that's one thing on my latest marathon build I really did enjoy getting out I enjoyed the training all the like long runs the big tempos running with I've got one friend that I always do a bit of my build with and just enjoying that experience and I don't know so your races in the build-up I had a really good half so I got a PB there and kind of taking those small victories along the way is probably something that I've learned to do and it's taken me this long. It's something that I can take forward. You're always learning, I think. Yeah. And obviously you clearly enjoy it because it's something you do regularly, the training and running. But for people that are listening, that what tips could you give them? I know it's a generic thing for <laughs> trying to find the joy in their running as opposed to looking at it like, a chore or something they've got to grind their way through so not looking at your splits is always a thing that comes up I think people are really pressurized by what your watch is saying and if you just leave that at home then fine if you just want to turn it the other way around so you can't see the face of it if you're running with someone so that you can have a chat rather than thinking about your running and just the time passes so much quicker when you're running with people. There's so many groups. It doesn't even have to be someone that is in your personal life. There's always going to your park run, you meet people, um, local running clubs. Um, I'm fortunate that even I don't run for a local club up here, but there's just so many people from different clubs that get together and a Sunday run with people. If you're going out for two, three hours, it passes so much quicker with other people. So probably 
to find others to run with and to set yourself different targets rather than just focusing on how fast you're running. They're probably the two big ones for me, for sure. I always used to feel quite a lot of pressure um, to run a certain minute per mile and it was just killing me in getting to my sessions. So I can understand if people are going out and they might not have big targets, but it still probably affects them in the same way. And just taking that pressure off, I think, is a massive thing. Yeah, I'm the same. I feel the long runs, definitely with other people, makes it go so much quicker because you can do the same route by yourself and it feels, it still can be equally as fun, like clear <laughs> your head, but it's, it feels longer, if that makes definitely. sense. Definitely. It's almost the equivalent of running the same distance on a treadmill. I <laughs> yeah. hate running on treadmills. And <laughs> as I was doing my running run today, um, I'd got half an hour in and I thought, oh, if I'd been on a treadmill, this would have been about five minutes. You just, you're completely clock watching. Um, yeah. So yeah, I totally get what you mean. It goes so much quicker. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you ran today. What was your running look like today, your training? Today has been a fairly easy day. I'm still getting back into things post-marathon. So I just had 40 minutes uh, this morning, just nice and easy. And then 20 minutes tonight. And I did a bit of gym after my run this morning as well. So yeah, an hour in total. That's it. Awesome. Uh, do you find this? I mean, I find this as well with my double runs that the ones I do in the morning kind of set me up for the day and I find the ones at the end of the day and it actually clear my head. Definitely. Um, I love morning runs. I'm that annoying person that um, I, <laughs> I'll i get my training schedule through and then I'm like, oh, can I add in a morning run? And I think it does just set you up for the day. It means that you actually have a shower because the structuring of showers when you're not running is just unknown to me. I don't know how normal people function. <laughs> um, and then like, when you've been at work and you get home, you might not want to get out the door, but I think once you've got out, that's the worst bit. And it can give you time just to mull over your day, really. I, well, I prefer having a morning run. I think it really does set you up like you say and just gives you a bit of time to yourself before the day kicks off i guess most definitely and before we kind of move into the, the discussion about boston i want to ask some fun questions well you'll tell me if it's fun <laughs> to this, and i'll guess my reactions what runner from past or present would you want to go on a long run with oh um i we're probably, uh, I just idolise Des Linden. She's just so cool and such a quality runner at the same time. And she likes whiskey. So just a win all in. At Boston, uh, when I was warming up, she ended up jogging beside me. And I just couldn't bring myself to say anything to her. I couldn't think of anything to say. And I was just like crying inside because I thought this might be the only opportunity that I'm within a metre of her. I just love it. She's got so much experience. She's always so consistent. And uh, yeah, I pick her. Yeah, I'll go with Des Linden. If you were writing a book about your life now and you were in this current phase of your life, what would this chapter be called? Oh, um, maybe Marathon Mania. <laughs> uh, um. I've just, at the minute, I can't get enough of marathons. And for so many years, I wanted to run them. And my coach didn't let me for ages. And now I've just, 
I want to tick off all the majors. After each one, I'm always looking for the next one. And just because I enjoy marathon training so much, it just hooks me. So yeah, probably marathon mania. So what is it about marathon training and the marathon majors that hooks you? Uh, I don't think there's anything quite like a marathon. And shout out to Gabby, who I work with. She just, she doesn't understand how people can enjoy running whatsoever. So when I'm like, oh, I just want to do another marathon, it's, you just pour your whole self into marathon training, I think. Like we said earlier, when it goes well, you cannot, I, I think I've said, like, if you could bottle the feeling when it goes well, you could sell it for an absolute fortune. And I said that about the training for Boston just three weeks out I was feeling insanely fit all my sessions were going well and I just love the challenge of the training as much as anything you know it's gonna hurt but equally it's like that reward that you know what's at the end of it and I love the sessions for marathon training um I've always sort of struggled with focusing on the shorter sessions but I think I really enjoy them for some reasons, like four by 5k. I love it when that pops up on the schedule, like a 20 mile run, 20, 30 seconds off marathon pace. I just relish it. I look forward to it all week. In this cycle, I think I'd got one on a Saturday and the whole week I was just excited. I think it's probably quite difficult to describe why I love it. But um, yeah, it's probably quite an odd thing for a lot of people. I think it depends on the person because I've heard other people say similar things that they love doing it and that's a really good thing and sometimes I think when some people dread it and then if it's that's the case you have to ask why is it the case and maybe is it the right training is it something you know there's a deeper question beyond that but like you're saying if you're enjoying it then that's perfect isn't it yeah and I think it's difficult for people who probably just want to tick a marathon off as sort of it's on their bucket list when they go into training, it's probably a, a means to an end rather than enjoying the process and looking to do something else with it, like progress your time or tick off different races. If you're just doing it once or it's probably a different approach, isn't it? I guess it's an interesting point because on one hand, like you say, this might be some people that look at the finish line as the end. But for you, the finish line isn't the end. It seems to be part of something bigger. Yeah, Definitely. I, or even before Boston, I'd already started making a list of races that I was going to look to do for the rest of the year, just because I fully expected to get the post-marathon blues. And yeah, I think it's always having a goal, something to strive towards. It's, if it's something that's such a big part of your life, like running is for me and so many others, having that next goal. And I suppose it's probably a part of your personality as well whether you're goal driven and how you're looking at that achievement whether it leads on to something else or you're moving back down to the shorter distances because you've achieved what you want to i think it's between the two you're never really in one camp or the other (laughs) they all need each other (laughs) definitely i think over the next few months i'm going to focus on the shorter stuff just get a bit more speed back in the legs so I'm fully expecting to have some horrible speed sessions that I just have to get through. But it's the coach always says it's 
you get quicker over the shorter stuff. It'll hurt a lot. But when you come to then run a marathon, uh, that marathon pace is so much easier, or at least it feels like it is because you've run so much quicker over the shorter things. Yeah. And it's really cool to see like an elite runner yourself going for looking to do like the, the marathon majors. I mean, I know Sarah Hall did it. And the cool thing about it, it's not just the elites that do it, obviously the non-elites do it as well. And it's such a cool way to run, travel and see different places. Exactly. I've always wanted to do them. I think I did London in 2017. That was my first marathon. And even then, I was already thinking about how I can tick off the next ones. But I've sort of got to the point where I'm thinking, okay, I've got the time that I'd need to get into the elite races of these. And that would be such an insane experience that I might as well use that time whilst I've got it. So Boston was the first one that I'd got the elite time for. And I'm already eyeing up where how I can fit the others into my schedule. <laughs> Just with how my year's planning out now, I don't think I'll be able to do Chicago or New York this year. So next year is probably my next one to tick off. But it's kind of difficult to know whether to really to use them as a focus and whether they would get in the way of running quicker times. So whether I need to leave them for a while now and go back once I've achieved what I can do in the marathon as a quicker runner and just get my PB down and then go back to tick the other three off possibly. Yeah, it's a challenging one, isn't it? Because they're all sort of concentrated at different points a year. It's just like making sure you get that right balance in. We could do a Shalane and just do them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, she's just sickeningly good, though. Um, she finished sort of two seconds ahead of me in Berlin last year, and she came cruising past me at 40-odd K, and I thought, come on, you can go with her. She's got another five marathons to run. And wow. it, oh, it was just, um, yeah, great. I finished and just said, you know, good luck for the rest of yours. I finished mine in a time that I was really happy with, and she's just absolutely cruising through six of them in six weeks <laughs> i love the way she's redefining retirement <laughs> oh, <laughs> definitely it's yeah. uh, i like loved her already she was such a good runner whilst she was elite but she must still just do a massive amount of training whilst she's coaching i guess yeah she yeah she still looks pretty much the same as she did before <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah oh i know i was quite jealous that she got to do that it was a brilliant way to take them all off for sure um, definitely i think yes sarah hall has done them and then um ali dixon she's been great giving me the advice towards boston and now towards the 50k that i'll do at the end of the year so ali's great we were out in kenya together as well so over the last few years she's given me such good advice okay that's that's a, such a name drop there i need to go back to that so <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go back to Berlin. I've run it a couple of times, but I want to know what advice Ali gave you to run Berlin. I mean, you've got two Alleys. I mean, like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> She's with a Y, so that's fine. It was just to focus on yourself and it just, you can easily get carried away. And it was just good to hear that from her. And equally, I, I'm quite good at in, in marathons and, until Boston. I've negative split. And uh, it was just really good to know that later on in the course, like it, what points were coming up and there were those final turns that you could tick off towards the end and that you'd feel a lot better overtaking people rather than being overtaken. Yeah, she's just, she's got so much knowledge. She's been there and done it all. So 
yeah, I really value her opinion on anything, really. That's amazing when you've got people like that who are willing to share that knowledge with you and pass it forward. Yes, she's just, she was at the top for so many years that I'll take any advice from her, that's for sure. Most definitely. If there was going to be a movie made about you, what actor or person would you want to play you? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, oh, I'm struggling to think of... Oh, do you know what? The And I wouldn't know her name. The one who played Trinity in The Matrix, she was just so cool and just acted. I'm struggling to think of actresses. I really love Vin Diesel. So if there was a female version of Vin Diesel, then I'd totally go for him. <laughs> I'm actually trying to Google her name right now to see if I can find this for this. I go, who's Trinity in the Matrix? And literally I was getting, why is Trinity called Trinity in the Matrix? I'm like, that's oh, the one no. I asked for. No. Uh, someone better will come to me and I'll um, regret <laughs> that I've said <laughs> Vin Diesel. <laughs> oh, I found it. Carrie Ann Moss. That's it. Yes, I did know that. Carrie Ann Moss. <laughs> yeah, she was great. Just a strong female character. Yeah. Great choice. That's a really good question. Do you have a favourite word in another language? I always get, if um, I've not roasted abroad that much, it, it's always good if people shout Ali at you. Ali, Ali, Ali. And I'm like, oh, people know me. But um, no, they're just shouting go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> have you had it with people go, Ali, 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 oi, oi, oi. And you're like, ah, yeah. like, oh, not me. <laughs> no, no, not me. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I remember I was in New York and I had a guy behind me and he ran past me and it was like he was called Marcus and I had the crowd going hey go Marcus I was like oh my god someone knows me I didn't have my name on my top I was like how do they know me I looked around and I saw he had his name on his top I was like damn him yeah (laughs) did you manage to stick with him no (laughs) oh no crushed my soul to this oh Marcus damn it Uh, no but I think it was the first time I ran New York though and I was just really just trying to soak it in so uh, yeah yeah um, that didn't dampen, that, yeah, that did dampen my spirit. To be honest, I mean, oh, I was, good. The, the crowds were incredible, but um, yeah. I think. I th- did you find that at Boston as well? Just, I've never known that. Yeah, I did it in 2018 in the monsoon year. But even still, the crowds were amazing. They were out getting soaked and still supporting. So, yeah, I mean, the American uh, majors are incredible. So, yeah, I'm um, same as London as well. Yeah. True. I went back out, I went back, got showered and everything and went out. And I think the clock, the finishing clock was about six hours 30. Um, And there was still people just going absolutely mad on the side of the finishing straight. And there wasn't even that many people coming in at that point. And it just, it made me smile. I thought, I feel like I've had a bad day, but these people are really happy with how they're finishing. And they've still got those crowds going mad at them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just, it makes you feel, um, I don't know how to best describe it. Just, um, there's a quote at the start of Love Actually about you see more sincere hugs or kisses in airport arrivals. And I felt that like the marathon, if you want to see like human spirit, I think the quote is Catherine Schweizer, go and watch a marathon. It might not be the people that are doing it, but the crowds at Boston were absolutely like the best that I've ever known. Yeah, absolutely. But it's interesting you talk about that because I guess from the elite perspective, you're going to be taking it in, but you're not going to be responding to it as much. So how much of that do you take in when you're racing? Because you can't be like waving to everyone and like high-fiving. No, and then... 
for um, people? I um so when I uh, on race day, I'm normally pretty stony faced, and my husband Callum always tries to snap me out of it. He like jokes and messes around, and I think I stay like that during the race as well. And probably the for Berlin, I probably took a lot of it in because I set off relatively easy hence negative split but just in that first half I really took it in and I found myself smiling and I could spot um people that I did know in the crowd and not not later in the race that was gone by then but probably in the future I'd like to do them just to complete them rather than trying to push myself so that I can take it in so I think that's probably a really different thing like you say you don't get chance to soak it in and appreciate them which is why I think when I went back out after I'd finished it meant more in a way because I wasn't in dire straits and absolutely dying I could appreciate what they were doing yeah but I can imagine like you're saying you're in this point of focus from build up through the race and then it's been taken out of that trance almost you can actually see it for what it is because otherwise you can't really do what you need to do plus do all that as well it's a lot of information to take in yeah for sure I think I probably come across as quite antisocial when people see me before races I do put headphones in sometimes but generally I just keep my eyes down and get on with my warm-up and avoid talking to people much probably so I think others probably are different and they distract themselves by chatting and warming up with others and everything but I don't know how I've come into that routine but that's how i've ended up you've got fun what works for you and if it works <laughs> yeah. just keep with it to be honest so also we're in boston now and you put something in your stories about your club vest what <laughs> happened there oh gosh there um, <laughs> you have to um if you're in the elite field you have to go on the day before and your shoes get inspected in the age of super shoes they have to make sure that you haven't got any that are illegal but equally your kit so I always run in my club vest, also Australian Olympians. And I didn't completely take in all of the rules on the kit, but you put it down on the table and there's an official who has got sort of a little stencil almost that he holds over any sponsors or logos to check that they're not too big. So he looked at the front of my vest and it's got Ron Hill on one side and a little Australian Olympians logo on the other side. And I thought, oh, that's fine. They're all within his little stencil. He then flips the vest and on the back in big letters, probably two inches high, you've got Oswestry Olympians. And he sort of shook his head and goes, oh, I'll have to check on this. And he calls over, I can't remember, it's like the main official guy. I sort of said at this point, it's the club name. It's not a sponsor. Oh, no, no, no. They're very strict. You can't have big words. Can you tape over it? And I thought, oh, my God, this is my first pro start. And I'm going to be starting a race with tape over my number. And just I went into a bit of a flat. And thankfully, Callum was there. And they said, oh, have you um, got any other anything else you can wear? So Callum hot-footed it back over to the hotel. And thankfully, I got two just plain Ron Hill vests that I'd brought with me as well. One of which I'd never run in before. And one I'd done a tempo in, I think, in the build-up. And so I ended up running in the vest that I'd never run in before just because of my club name being too big. And I just couldn't believe it. But yeah, it's going to get some T-shirts printed if I ever go back and 
just really push the Oswestry Olympians brand. <laughs> I mean, I know some people listening would think it's not a big thing, but did it throw you a little bit? Because obviously you've got your kit that yeah. you wear to race. Yeah, I, there's no question of what I wear to race because I just wear the same thing each time. And I know that it doesn't chafe me. And especially in a marathon, that's important. It's kind of, it did throw me. And as we were walking out for me to explain where these vests were so that Callum could go and get them, he sort of could tell that I was flapping and said, it's okay, it's okay. And that's the worst thing you can do for me if I'm getting upset (laughs) is tell me it's okay. And so I just stayed in sort of almost crying, raging, messaged my coach. And he's like, don't let it throw you. I think it, it wasn't a happy moment. It definitely did take something away from it for me. I was really looking forward to repping them. I'm always really proud to wear it. In A couple of weeks ago, they made me a lifetime member. I've been with them since I was 14. So it means a lot to me. Yeah, they're my club from back home. It just, it was a bit, yeah, it was an odd one to have traveled. I think I was tired, jet lag. So yeah, it definitely threw me a little bit. I want to go back to talking about your club because that's a really important topic I want to cover. Yeah. But I want to talk about the Boston Marathon as well. <laughs> Can you talk about how it went? So you were, we're at the start line, the gun goes off, take us through and what happened until the end. So pre-start, you're lined up with an Olympic bronze medalist. You've got the Olympic gold medalist there, um, just surrounded by stars. And it was just incredible. Crowds cheering, you set off. It's a nice downhill and I thought, oh, gosh, they're jogging. And we were, I think we were running at sort of 5.50 per mile. And we're just, they're basically tripping over each other because they're going so slow. So it was just a weird thing to be right up there with everyone. And as we go into the second mile, they sort of start to pick it up a bit. It's a nice downhill. And I was left in no man's land having to make the choice between going with that lead group or just running on my own. So I sort of let it go and then we got to a little uphill and I found that I was catching them. So I just got on the back of the group then. So I went through 5k with the main group and just feeling easy. It was a pace that I'd run in training and it was the pace that I'd planned to go out at. And then after 5k, we went through drink station and then the leaders race started as such and they went off and I just stayed at the pace I was running. So went through 10k And I was still feeling good, but I could feel that I was working a bit too hard for the pace that um, I was running. And at that point, it was sort of a decision of, do you stick with the plan or do you back off? And that's possibly where my race went a little bit wrong was I decided just to stick with it. Before the race, we'd sort of said, commit, got nothing to lose. I've had, yeah, such a good build. I was so fit. But I was just running on my own at that point, which is tough. We'd known that would happen just with the field size and going off ahead of the masses. So it was just a bit of a struggle from there. Went through halfway in almost dead on 77 minutes, I think. My stomach had started to churn a little bit and I was thinking, oh, no. Um, So it sort of settled. Um, I was taking on drinks and gels as I have done in training. But I think just the downhills, as much as anything, were just making me not feel great. About 17 miles, I had a quick pit stop in a porta potty a la Chalene of 2018. And then it was just a case of getting home. I just, 
I was in absolute struggle still then. So just one foot in front of the other. If it had been in the UK, I'd probably have dropped out. But when you've traveled halfway across the world, I thought I might as well get to the finish. It wasn't going to be pretty, but at least I ticked it off and I hated DNF. So it was a long way. I think the second half, probably like you say about running on a treadmill, it was really tough. And I think it's definitely the toughest race I've ever had. But it made me really appreciate the crowds. You got into heartbreak and I'd gone and run the final six miles of the course on the Friday and I'd been, oh, this is great. You know, you can really float down these downhills. Heartbreak's not as bad as you think it is. It was much worse than I thought it was. (laughs) And so it was balancing your legs of that they felt like they weren't going to work anymore. The downhills that you felt like you could float down were then just making you feel like your quads were going to cramp. So I nursed myself home, I'll put it that way. And I still loved it, to be fair, finished. And even though I was completely trashed, still just such an insane experience being able to line up with those girls. And I'm still proud of the build that I had and that I did commit on the day. If I'd gone off slower and maybe I'd have run quicker, but equally, if I'd gone off slower and still had to have a stop and the hills in the latter stages might still have trashed my legs even if I had been feeling good so it's I've been able to look at the positives um I've never had such a good marathon build I got to take part in the elite race at Boston in a field that was the best that's ever been a marathon major and I've ticked off another major I think there's some really great points in there that you raised and you know the advice that people give the you know the amateur runner running boston that are going for their their own time they're not competing is you know take it easy in the beginning you know and then you work your way up you know towards the end because obviously it's not an even course yeah but then as an elite that's not the same thing because like you're saying if you're with a group that take it really easy and then they surge off you what you're going to do you either stick or you go you know so it's not as easy to be like okay i'll lately you guys go off yeah definitely and I think even if I'd held back, it wouldn't have, I'd have just ended up running even more of it on my own. Whereas uh, I got to run 5k with them and it wasn't at a pace that was ridiculous for me. If I'd had a good day, that would have been completely achievable and I'd have run quicker. But I think it was probably more difficult to take because I have had two good back-to-back marathons where I've run negatives and I've got PBs. And I think my friend made the point of you have gotten used to it going perfectly. So I think she really helped me in seeing that it may have not gone right, but I was due a bad race in a way. I'd had a good half in the build-up and probably I've got to take the positives from it. And that is me looking at the training that I'd done that it could have gone really well. It didn't on the day, but in the build-up, I'd got that half PB, and I would have snatched someone's hand off for that beforehand. It's easy to said after we the dust has settled, but like after the marathon, <laughs> it's so hard to to rationalise that. Like you're saying, you've come off some PBs for the marathon and the half. I mean, how did you kind of process that initially? It was difficult. My husband's a teacher, so he was out in Boston until the morning of the race and then he was literally flying as I was running so 
I said afterwards, it was probably quite good not to have anyone at the finish for this race because it would have been easy for them to be greeted by someone who knew what my goals were and that it hadn't gone to plan. And I think, like I say about the vest, if you get that reaction from someone and he'd messaged me and said, you know, it's not what you wanted, but we'll move forward, basically. But instead of having someone there who could potentially have brought out that emotional response, I had time to myself to come to terms with it. So I think it was a bit of a strange one because I was in the States on my own. I'd just finished a marathon. I was absolutely wrecked, but I actually was okay after. It was weird because I've never been like that when when a race has gone really bad. So in a way, I didn't find it that difficult to come to terms with. Yeah, I can imagine that because like you're saying, we go back to the early part of the conversation in running, you tend to have more, I don't say disappointments, that makes it seem worse uh, for people listening. But, you know, there's it, it kind of evens itself out, I guess, the wins and you know, the win times you don't win. So, and I think you get to see both for what they are, the, the moment goes, and then you're back at it again. Definitely. And I think you, through time, know that there will be another good day. It's probably... I think the best example is probably when people are starting to run and they hate it and they're like, how can you enjoy this? And it's persevering through that bad phase of when you're not fit to get to the point where you feel good. And I think a lot of people don't get through that phase because they hate that initial stage and would stop running before it gets to a nice point, if that makes sense. Yeah. Fundamentally as well, I think one of the, I'm putting words in your mouth here and you'll probably tell me if I'm right <laughs> or wrong, but I think one of the fundamental good things about run clubs, uh, the UK club system is that there's a structure throughout the year. So you've always got, you're always moving forward throughout the seasons. So maybe that maybe helped as well subconsciously to think, okay, the marathon's done. What's on, what's the next one? Exactly. Well, yeah, you've got, Hopefully, I'm not going to get made to run around a track. <laughs> uh, yeah, you've got the 5Ks and the 10Ks that are coming up during the summer. And then whether you do build towards an autumn marathon. And I think cross country for clubs as well is massive. I think it, probably cross country is the biggest time when people see each other. If there's not a road series or they don't do a track series, definitely for my club. We do the North Wales League, so it's a good time for club members who wouldn't normally see each other who don't train together to see each other and I think it's really good to you've got all the different levels of people as well so normally if you're at a road race I might go and I'll be finished and head off and warm down and go home but at the cross country it's a time when no matter what time you're running you will still see each other and it's sort of a camaraderie isn't it and yeah all supporting each other no matter what time you're running Absolutely. And can you talk about the importance of being a club runner has had on you as a runner throughout your career? Oh, I've been a member of a club since I was probably 10 or so. And in, I ended up at Oswald Street. It was because I was training with a group and that really brought me on. And I think I started training with that group a few months before uh, I got my first England Master English schools. So once you've had that little bit of success, I think it's easy to 
you're, you're gripped by it then. And Oswestry have always been so supportive from my first coach that I had there. And then it's just a great way of meeting different people. I, I don't live near where my club is anymore, but they're still supportive from afar. I'll try and turn up to local races. There's a Facebook group. It's just a lovely atmosphere. And there's plenty of clubs that have tried to poach me, but uh, I've always stuck with it because of that. Just so supportive. And yeah, I'm a homegirl at heart, I think. It's great to hear about that loyalty, really. And also you touched upon having the England vest age 14, and now you're going to have a GB vest. Can you talk about <laughs> what's coming up next? Oh, uh, I don't want to think about it so soon. <laughs> um, I've somehow wrote myself in to represent GB at the European 50k champs in October. So you can put yourself forward off your marathon time. The furthest I've ever run before is just over a marathon. And I've always wanted to go towards the ultra stuff. Doing the 24-hour relay earlier this year made me question whether I actually wanted to. But it'll be absolutely insane i've wanted to represent gb but i've never quite got there i think i've got five or so england vests at mountain road cross country from 14 up to now and it's just it's always been on my bucket list to get that vest so october 8th in spain i'll get to run around a 5k circuit 10 times we'll find out how that goes then have you uh, been able to get out to the course and see and run there? No, no, I haven't as yet. Okay. That would be cool. Though. Are you looking forward to it? I am. It'll be completely different. And it's an amazing team. You've got sort of women from 233. So we should really have a chance of meddling, whether that's individual or team. It's a really strong team. And just, I think the training won't have to be much different to a marathon. So that's quite comforting. But it's just, I think, going to be very testing on how to run the race. I'll definitely be going for one of my negative split tactics rather than Boston tactics. That's quite interesting when you talk about training. And and I was having this conversation the other day. It's like, does it really change too much? Because like, even if you say you're a miler, you can still get milers that run high mileage. They've got like a big aerobic base. And then it's the same as it goes up. So does it... Does it change that much, you think? Obviously, there are subtle differences. I'm not trying to, like, rubbish, like, the greats, like, Jack Daniels and those guys and say, like, just run. But, like, there are more similarities, I think, across than we try to... Definitely. I think it's been interesting of late to hear people, like Steph Davis, who went to the Olympics for GB. She doesn't do that much mileage. I think she's sort of 60, 70 miles and does a lot of cross-training. So I think it's finding what works for you. It, a lot of people, I think, see 100-mile weeks for marathoners as a big thing and feel the pressure to do that. Whereas if you find what works for you, whether that's 60 with cross-training or solid 80 to 90, I think it is better to do that than try and force the mileage and injure yourself. Or Yeah, definitely personal on what works for you, I think. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And I've had like other elite runners say exactly the same thing about like you, you've got the noise, but then ultimately you've got to listen to your body and what works for you and trust that. Definitely. I think 
I am always pushing to do more. Um, and sometimes you do need that coach or someone in your life to question why you're doing that and tell you that you don't need to um, put things in perspective, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's a difficult one because on one hand, like as runners, we'd lie to ourselves quite often. (laughs) (laughs) But then ultimately, we know what it feels like. So sometimes we are a better judge at knowing where that limit might be. And obviously a coach can advise, but they're not us. So I guess it needs honesty from both sides, doesn't it, to really make that work? For sure. Uh, So if you're telling your coach that you feel fine, but actually you're really tired and all you're doing is looking at your week and thinking oh if I just do another three miles I can hit 100 or 90 or 80 it's if you hadn't got something telling you that that's how many miles you'd run in a week you wouldn't be doing that if you're feeling tired so I think definitely if you're feeling okay and the theory if you're feeling okay then hopefully your body's not lying to you and you're taking the down weeks that you need and you're eating right and you're getting loads of sleep then go for it. Just make sure that you're fully aware of how you are feeling. Yeah, definitely. And that conversation needs to be active for sure to, to make it work. And you've got to be honest. But as runners, we tend not to be as honest sometimes <laughs> as we should be. It's like, your legs are hanging off. I'm fine. Yeah. You, <laughs> you're six weeks off. I can run tomorrow, can't I? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Straight into like 100-mile weeks after six weeks <laughs> off. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be fine. Definitely. <laughs> So one of the key things that I like to look at in the conversation is to relook at and redefine how we view failure. And we obviously spoke about what happened at Boston and how you turned that around. And you spoke about some of the influences from your friends that helped you kind of gain that perspective. I know some other learning experiences you noted as well was in regards to injuries and uh, not making the Olympics uh, marathon trials. Can you talk about those? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think I got an invite to the Olympic trials, which was massively exciting, but it came at the time of COVID. Unless you were highly supported, you'd got no access to gyms. Um, We've got a limited amount of gym equipment at home, and I'll go to the gym twice a week, uh, three times a week, just to strengthen and make sure that everything's in the right place. But what I hadn't realized was that during COVID we've been doing what we could at home but when it came to building for the marathon my body just would not take it and it was it was quite unfortunate that unless you were one of the top 10 or so you probably haven't got those contacts that would be able to get you into a gym and a lot of the people who were invited it was quite a high dropout both pre and during the race I think which was quite sad but it was an awesome event and I ended up watching it from home. But it's easy to say now, but there was the little injury that I ended up getting. I couldn't rehab properly because I hadn't got access to the facilities that I needed. So it was really disappointing for me. But in a way, it wasn't a failure on my part. It's probably not a failure on anyone's part because of covid but it was really difficult to take at the time because there hadn't been any marathons for probably 12, 18 months. And that was such a prime opportunity to get one in. So I think that was possibly one of the most difficult things for me to take. If you get injured at another point and it's just a random race that you're missing, it's slightly easier. But that was a really tough one for me, for sure. 
a lot of things that came into play really to kind of create the situation that it was. But I guess from that, I guess what did you learn about yourself? Like what? Obviously, you don't need to tell us like exactly the ten point plan, but like what did you kind <laughs> of learn that and what about moving forward? It really emphasised to me that that strength and conditioning that I was doing in the gym was making a difference. And as awful as it is sometimes to have to go and go to the gym and do your boring routines, it is really important. And you might want to add in another run, like you say, and focus on the running side of things. But the small things add up, whether it be your gym work, your stretching, fueling when you come back in from your run, getting your sleep. It's everyone says about the little one percent that you can add in and that really emphasized it for me and I've looked after myself a lot better since then in more ways than just doing that strength work so I think it probably was a little kick that I needed to focus and realize that I needed to take care of myself and I just want to go back to Boston real quick the last thing was there like a key question that you asked yourself kind of look at or address post that race like what would you ask yourself to kind of move forward with that I guess uh, was I happy with what I'd done on the day in in how I'd run the race and looking back I could say yes because I'd committed to the plan it didn't pay off but it can't all the time and I think that helped me to come to terms with it was I did what I planned to do, but other factors came into play. So can I blame myself for it going wrong? Partially, if I'd backed off a bit, yes, it would have been fine. But what if it had gone right? And I think sometimes you've just got to take that chance and dream big, I guess. You might not hit what you want, but there's always the chance that it might pay off. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that elite or non-elite. I mean, even in my last marathon, I didn't hit the time that I wanted to. But afterwards, I kind of reflected on a similar question, like not thinking about the things I couldn't do. I was like, but in the race, could I be proud of the effort that I gave? Like, did I give my best at the time? You know, it's always easy to think I could have run faster 5K like two days afterwards, but you didn't. So Yes, exactly. <laughs> It's what you did at the time and you can't change it now. That's You can mope about it all you want. And I normally would, to be fair. But I think it's very good if you can probably compartmentalise it and then move on. Uh, give yourself that little bit of grieving time if it has gone wrong. But move on, focus. There are more days, there will be more marathons. You can prove yourself. Yeah, totally agree. And I don't know if you do this as well. I just like for me that last race, I just tried to find something positive that I could focus on, and that kind of closed that book, closed that chapter for that race, and that's kind of left in the past now. Yeah. What What was your positive? That I got a Boston qualifier. There you go. Yeah, that's a pretty big one. Yeah, and it's it's hard as well when people go, "Oh, boo hoo, you must have been so terrible to run a Boston qualifier at your time." (laughs) But it's different. Yeah, it's your. it's different levels yeah. of um, happiness with what you've... It depends where you are, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's hard to explain to people what, what, what they're unhappy. They're like, really? But it's yes. like, just 
let me be unhappy. And Definitely. Then, yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of people at work, a couple of them followed and tracked me. And, oh, 243, that's amazing. Oh, I'm really disappointed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's so it's, it's it's so funny when that happens because I don't know if it's happened to you as well, but like I said something similar to my wife, and it was just like I was expecting her to like allow the pity party to carry on, but she <laughs> yeah. basically like she shut that party down, kicked out oh. all the guests. I was just like, "There's no pity, pity party here." So no, no. <laughs> this is this this move on. <laughs> yeah, definitely, it's probably a good way to do it. Yeah, it's, it's like someone else is chucking like water in your face, like. <laughs> Figuratively, not literally. Um, oh. I just want to clarify: my wife didn't throw water in my face. That's all of a eternal phrase. Oh, yeah, that would be harsh. It, yeah, it would be harsh, especially after marathon twist. No, no one needs that. <laughs> Anyhow, as we move towards the end of the conversation, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? Keep believing and putting the effort in because it'll all be worth it. There were some years where I didn't put in everything that I could, and I wish I had now. That's, yeah, something I look back and go, I could have done more there, but you can't regret your choices at that point. So just to persist. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And no, thank you for sharing that. And how can people follow your journey online? I'm mainly Instagram and Twitter at Lavender Alley 25, I think, Insta, and then at Lavender underscore Alley on Twitter. Ali, it's been great talking to you. I know there's more things we could have spoken about in terms of the 24 hour event and other bits, but I thought, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation with you and I think we covered quite a bit. So thank you for being a guest on a Runner's Life podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and you want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life. If you want to get updates on the podcast or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at Marcus underscore runs. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast. <laughs>